Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager Podcast with me, Jenny Plant, from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow the existing client relationships so their agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 15. This episode is for you if you are in a leadership position in an agency. I've invited my friend Nadine Powery, who is an executive leadership coach, and she specializes in managing difficult conversations. Now, she's going to share with us what she believes makes an exceptional leader. And Nadine, having worked for many, many years with a lot of very inspiring leaders, she understands exactly what she's talking about. She's also going to share with us some of the challenges leaders are facing right now. So you may identify that you're experiencing these challenges as well and what to do about them. And she's also going to share with us what you need to do to prepare if you need to have a difficult conversation. So grab a pen, make some notes. This is quite inspiring. I could have spoken to Nadine all day because she has so much experience in this area. So enjoy. So I'm thrilled today to welcome Nadine. Nadine is a friend of mine and she also happens to be an expert in leadership skills and also managing difficult conversations. And I first met Nadine a few years ago now where we were in a a masterclass together and I was really, really impressed by, first of all, her public profile, how much she gives of herself online and how much value she provides. And she's a podcaster herself. She's got a very, very high quality program all about managing difficult conversations. And she's written white papers and she's got a very impressive background. And I thought, who else would I invite on my program today? Because I think she can provide tons of value to us, particularly around leadership and also managing difficult conversations. So Nadine, welcome. Hello. Hello, Jenny. And well, thank you so much for this amazing introduction. I feel like saying, okay, the end now. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is said. Thank you so much for that. It's very kind of you. You're welcome. But I know I've left loads of gaps. So just to kick us off, would you mind spending a few minutes just talking about your background and also now who you help? Who am I helping and who am I? Okay, well, the first thing to say, probably you'll understand and you'll hear through my terrible accent. I'm French, but I am here in the UK and very proud to be in the UK, actually. I've got my settled status. So no matter what Brexit has decided for me, I will stay in the UK. So I've been in the UK since 1989. I've done all my career in the UK in education, about 25 years in education. I did two headships, secondary. And at the moment, when I was thinking about, oh, how shall I introduce myself when Jenny's going to ask me that question? Usually I would say, well, I'm an executive and leadership coach and I'm a workplace mediator. But at the moment, I feel that I've got different hats that I am wearing at the same time. I have four children. Three of them are in the world of work and one of them is still at uni. She's at King's in her final year. So at the moment, I am a mother. Every day, my children are contacting me since COVID. (laughs) I'm a wife uh, of an amazing person. He's writing on French cinema. He's a professor. I'm a daughter. My mum is in France and sadly, I've not been able to see her. So I'm having to juggle that. And I have my own company. So I'm a businesswoman and I've had my own company for the past five years now. I left my headship in 2016. So I'm 
I'll start my fifth year. And I'm an executive and leadership coach. I'm a workplace mediator. I'm a learning designer because I do a lot of training, uh, leadership training. And I have a podcast, you mentioned it, Leading the Coaching Change. I do LinkedIn Live every Thursday at 4 o'clock GMT. And when I was speaking to a client this week, she said to me, so when do you have all the time to do that and to work full time as well? And I think that when you have passion, you can do it all. And because you do it every day and because you have consistency, it's easy to do. And you get better at it as well because it's habits. So I'm getting better at, you know, editing my podcast or preparing my LinkedIn live. So, yeah, you know, it's me really. You can certainly see the passion that comes through with everything you do online. I mean, when you do those LinkedIn lives, which I think are super valuable, by the way, and anyone that's listening, I would really recommend tuning in because I learned so much. But you can see the energy coming from you, Nadine. It just speaks volumes. And actually, it's very, very attractive. I'm also glad that you introduced yourself in that way, you know, giving all the context of how many hats you wear. Because particularly right now, many of us, you know, we're recording this in January and many people that we know are locked down and we're kind of fed up and you know we've got a lot of the pressures some people are managing small children having to homeschool others are managing family members and you know if you're not ill it's the boredom and there's lots of different so thank you for introducing yourself in such a humanistic way I really enjoyed that I think the one thing that with people listening into this what I was thinking before I was preparing these questions is because you are an expert in leadership skills. I'd love you to sort of talk to us a little bit about that because you've met so many very, very senior leaders and you've worked so closely with them. What for you, in your experience, makes a really great leader? Okay, I was reflecting on that actually. And I was thinking about the people I worked with when I was working in education, while well, I still work in education, but in a different way. And I've had the privilege to work with two amazing heads and they have totally shaped who I am today. So the first one was called Derek Wise. He was the head teacher at Crammington. It's now Crammington Learning Village in Northumberland. He's he's not alive anymore. He, He died a couple of years ago, but he was an amazing head. And he was amazing because he had a very clear vision, very clear vision He had a very clear strategic plan, but most importantly, he had the right people in the right seat. So we always go back to Jim Collins, you know, from good to great. And he knew exactly where to put people, in which position, in which role in the school. He was extremely consistent with his communication. So his communication was clear, consistent. We all knew our roles. There was no debate around that. And we all knew what to achieve. And the school got a third of state outstanding. And he came in and he said, well, you know, we've, we've got the outstanding for a third time. And he cried. And it felt very moving because actually we'd all built that together. There was a real spirit of we were all in it together kind of, you know, approach. He was a risk taker. Don't take me wrong. Even if there was a strategic plan, it would take calculated risk. And the best gift, he had a research group and I was part of it. So every Thursday I would stay until about six o'clock at school and we would talk between four and six. We would talk about research and education and what was working best around, you know, around the world in terms of education, in terms of learning and in terms of leadership. And at one point he said, you know, if any of you want to go and study something specific around the world, just write a business proposal and give it to me. So I thought... 
well, you know, there's lots of things I'm interested in, but I had four children. And at that point, my youngest one was a, a baby. So I thought, well, it's going to be a bit difficult for me to travel. But, you know, I'll just um, tempt my chance. And I'd always been interested in uh, gifted and talented children. Actually, it was quite a passion for me, probably because when I was at school, when I was young, I jumped a year group. So I was always fascinated as to, you know, what, why is it that some children learn quicker than others and are more curious? And so I wrote a proposal and I gave it to him thinking there is no way he's going to send me to Australia and New Zealand for four weeks during term time. So I had done my cost and everything, you know, he could not ask me any questions. I had thought of every possible question, but it had to be on two A4 pages. And then one morning, he would always do that. He would have his hand in his pocket and look through his windows in his office. And he called me in and I thought, well, it's probably to tell me that, you know, thank you, but no thanks. And he said to me, well, you'd better pack up. And I will never forget that. So my parents flew to the UK to look after my children. And off I went and my husband could travel with me because he's an academic. So he, he was able to do his research as well in Australia and in New Zealand. So off we went to Australia and New Zealand and I toured many, many schools to look at best practice in terms of leadership and gifted and talented children. I mean, saw some amazing practice, met some amazing people. One of them was called Barbara Prashnik. She did a lot of work on uh, learning style analysis and teaching style analysis. And that's made me reflect quite a lot. And, you know, he totally shaped who I became then as a head myself. And he died when I took up my first headship. He died two days before. We were meant to have lunch, but he died of an illness. But I still have his email congratulating me to say that he was very proud. And I did say to him, you know, I am where I am because you made me who I am. So that's the one guy. And the other guy was another head when I was living in Sheffield. And his name is David Conway. And I was the deputy head there. And he was the head teacher. He had a very interesting background. He was an ex-military guy. So uh, a very process and systems driven, but also very flexible. And me at that point in my career, I was quite not stubborn, but I wanted to go one way. You know, I always uh, said, well, A will take me uh, there, so it will be B. And he taught me a good lesson. He said to me, you can get there taking different routes. It doesn't matter which road you take, you know. And we had some really big discussions on this one because I know I could be quite stubborn and I wanted to do it my own way at that point. But actually, it kind of proved to me in a very gentle way that A, it's okay to choose a different road at some point on the journey, that providing you get to where you want to be, it's okay to take a different road. And that stayed with me forever because that was about the strategy and he was absolutely right. And the school did very well. And he's an amazing guy. I have to say he's retired now, but he's amazing. I hope he's listening. I will tell him to listen because, you know, credit to him. And I have used what he taught me when I was ahead. And I've also used it as a businesswoman. For example, if I really want to work with a client, I will try a different way to get to work with that client. So that's how I am inspired by people. Yeah. There's loads of lessons in there, those two stories. I love it because I think everyone, 
I, I was listening intently and I just thought there's so many kind of takeaways there for people that maybe are in leadership positions themselves. So going back to this story about Derek, which I actually had a tear in my eye at the end, you said that he had a clear vision, he had a clear strategy and he chose the right people. And tell me a bit more about choosing the right people. How do you make sure that you choose the right people for your team? That's a very good question. It's not about qualification always. It's not always about experience. Sometimes it can be about intuition. Let, Let me share something with you. I was in my first headship and the school that I had taken over needed to change. And I was appointing a number of staff, particularly in English, math and science, and I needed some heads of department. And we interviewed a number of candidates on that day, fairly earlier on in their career types of candidates and great. And I just felt that they were the right people to be put in a leadership position. So I had three people where I thought, you know, My little voice inside me is telling me to offer them the post of head of department, yet they're only NQT, so they've just finished university. (laughs) They've got no experience, really, of working, you know, full-time, no experience of leading a team, but they've just got that tremendous potential. So I appointed them. And I remember my colleagues who were head teachers, you know, in the region in Hampshire, (laughs) they said to me, have you gone mad to appoint people with no experience? And I said, no, I appointed them on their potential. And I know that they're amazing. They just got to be given the opportunity to be amazing and they will shine and I will make them shine. You know, radiance is one of my values. It's very strong, right? So here we were. They were amazing. They delivered. They were totally, I think when I got them that they were appointed and then that they were appointed as head of department, I think they had to sit down because they said, well, we didn't come for that. But actually they were, they were amazing. They delivered and each of them took their own department and their own people to a, a really nice place in terms of learning and in terms of outcomes, in terms of success for the children. So to me, that's how we can appoint people. You know, qualifications and experience is nice, but it's more than that. And I've often reflected recently on your intuition. How do you use your intuition when you know something is right, but on paper, it doesn't quite look like that, right? Because you have the criteria, but there's more to that. And if you feel at times that actually, you know, those people have tremendous potential and you have to think, you know, the future of the organization, what they can bring and how you can shape them and also leadership succession because you yourself will not be there forever. So when you make an appointment, you have to think and you have to think about your risk assessment as well. You know, so if this one isn't staying, who will be in this place? And, you know, it's a bit like the domino effect. And I was very keen to put that in place very early on in the school. And I think history has proven that I was right to do that and and very proud I mean they're still there and they're amazing absolutely amazing people yeah I'm really fascinated by this use of intuition but part of me thinks in my mind was there a little bit of a factor of Nadine had been working in schools for a number of years I've met other head teachers I have a good friend that's a head teacher actually and he seems to have this knack of being able to identify very quickly, what kind of character you're dealing with. And I just thought, is it because the exposure to so many people throughout their lives, when you're seeing so many people go through their 
kind of development is that why you hone your intuition and therefore you get to the headship and you kind of already know by meeting someone quite quickly do you think there's a factor there I think it is but also I think it would be fair to say that sometimes you can make mistakes right and I have made mistakes I mean you know there might have been one or two appointments where I thought actually you know maybe here the, the person didn't quite deliver for a number of reasons but I, I think generally speaking you know, by having an experience of working with people, of knowing what you want and on discovering what people can bring to the table, but also always looking at their potential because there is the now and there is the constant evolving situation of what you will need in the future. So they may have a skill that you don't need now, but actually, you know, because of the strategic plan, you know that in a few years time, you may need that. And actually, because now we live in a world where what we thought would be five years time is probably now or never, you know, in some instances, the plan hasn't worked. Then, you know, some of us have discovered talents that perhaps we didn't know we had. And same with the people that you appoint, you know, when you tell them that you've noticed that they've got a particular talent, sometimes they don't know themselves that they have. It's just you. You've noticed that because you've asked them certain questions. They might have done a a task as part of the interview and you're cross-referencing everything and triangulating everything. And then it's like drawing a picture. You get a clear picture of what the person is about. And I've used psychometric tests as well in the past. And I think we've got to be careful with those. I did a LinkedIn post on that, actually. And there were quite a lot of people feeding back saying, we've got to be careful with it. And I agree, actually, because because this is a snapshot at the moment in time. It doesn't mean that you will always be like that. But for me, it was just a little hint of what was possible at a specific time. And did it have a huge impact in my decision? You know, no, but I took it into consideration as well. So it's about the person and it's about how the person is, how the person is interacting. I think when you mix people, you know, like you organize coffee time, and you call different people to talk and, and you observe people. And that's quite fascinating as well. So I think it's a mixture that is, that is such that you know that that person is probably the best one. You said something as well, which I thought, again, was very telling, is you kept saying, you know, making them shine you know, helping them, empowering them. And it kind of drew me back to the story you said with Derek when he called his leadership team together and said, you know, I'm prepared to invest in you. I trust you. I'm I'm going to back you if you want to go out and bring something back, which I think was a super smart move, you know, because ultimately he was going to benefit from those learnings, but he was taking a gamble. And also look at the effect that's had. It's almost like you've got more loyalty towards him. You've got more trust and bonding. So do you think that that's a factor in leadership qualities? Do you see that successful leaders empower, shine the light on and provide that kind of environment? I think it's a balance, isn't it? Because you still have to lead and particularly now, you know, at a time where we are, I mean, employees, they want to see their leader, you know, navigating that crisis. So they want to see somebody who is leading, but you also want to empower your staff because if you end up micromanaging things, then you're becoming operational yourself, you know? So you need to be in the helicopter and keeping that view. And if you've put people in the right place, then there's no need to micromanage, you know? People can be empowered and can deliver. Now, one of the things that I loved doing was my one-to-one meeting with my staff. I, I just loved that and I would not miss them. 
And I remember my, my senior leadership team telling me, you know, doing the one-to-one meeting with you is kind of worse than Ofsted coming in <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> because, of, because of the questions that I would ask. And they were not always questions about, you know, the performance, but I, I remember asking questions. So, you know, we've got the values for the school. So how are you demonstrating the values every day? into your daily job, right? And it's a bit same as you and I, Jenny, we have values for our business. I mean, my values, they they drive my business, you know. I said, I like radiance. I mean, radiance is important for me. I like to make people shine. You've been a guest on my podcast. I hope to invite you to my LinkedIn Live. And, and it's important for me where there is talent to make people shine. You're the expert in, in your field, Jenny. I, I'm not at all. I mean, you know, I, I am... I am watching you. I could never do what you're doing. You're very, very unique, very expert in it. And I think it's nice to recognize people's talent and to put them on stage and to make them shine and to applaud, you know, and and to say, well, good for you because you work very hard. So you deserve to be very successful as you are, Jenny. So that's kind of how I see things. And going back to this tip, you, you've given such good tips, I think, if leaders are taking note of these different things. You mentioned how important one-to-ones are, and I believe that they are too. You know, Do you have any practical guidance for a leader that perhaps is thinking, oh, how often should I be having those one-to-ones? You know, What should be the nature of the one-to-ones? How far do the one-to-ones extend beyond my immediate sort of direct reports? Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, well, I could talk to you for hours on one-to-one. <laughs> I want to get to managing difficult conversations yeah, 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 as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I would say that it, I think it depends on the organization and on the people that you're line managing. I mean, I was seeing my SLT, you know, every week, but that was the context of, you know, where I was working with the clients that I am working with because they are leaders, they are managing teams. Um, they tend to have one-to-one meeting once a month. I think my advice would be, put them in the calendar and make sure that they happen. There should be no excuse. You know, that should never be cancelled. And it's very easy to cancel them, right? Because things are happening. So you think, well, I don't need to meet John. You know, he'd be all right. He'd be plodding on. But actually, everybody needs a one-to-one on a regular basis to just, you know, check what's been you know what's been achieved and and celebrate that and the support that you can you can offer as well the perspective that you can offer and I mean for me it's all about the conversation with your team because it's all very well saying well you know they're all in their role so everybody is in the right seat well that's okay up to a point because life is testing you know challenging and people need support at some point. We all need support at some point, right? But we also need praise. I think that's very important. And it's very difficult at the moment to praise people because you're on Zoom, you know, with 50 people. And so I think having the one-to-one and being able to pinpoint where people have done extremely well and to explain to them, actually, it's not only saying, you know, well done, okay? It's explaining the why. Why is it the well done? It's also explaining, okay, so how can we move that further? What can I do to help you? I think all of that is really important. It's also easy for people sometimes to talk and say, yeah, I'm on course with that. You know, it's fine. I've taken care of that. And you do want to see, you do want to know because you have to triangulate and make sure that actually your plan is being delivered, right? The plan of the organization needs to be delivered. 
it's not that people don't trust people. Just it's nice to see things. I was talking to one of my clients recently and she said to me, I don't doubt what my team is doing, but I quite like to see what they're doing, you know, in their one-to-one meeting. Is that bad, Nadine? Does that make me a very operational leader? And I said, no, I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, asking. So what does it look like? I mean, show me, you know, uh, and everybody can bring something to the table so you can add a little observation or perspective. So I think I think those one-to-one are very, very precious. And there are difficult things at the moment, Jenny, because we are now a year into, into COVID and, and I'm coming to the difficult conversations now, right? In, in the first part of COVID, People would would hesitate at having kind of what they call difficult conversations where we we disagree on one thing, right? People would not speak really about the performance because it's quite hard to tell somebody that you're not quite happy with the performance. Well, a year into COVID, you have to have those discussions now. And some of my clients have been really struggling because they said to me, you know, face-to-face is bad enough having those conversations. And now I'm having to do that on Zoom. You know, my colleague is crying. Had she been in my office, I would have known what to do. I'm on Zoom. I know that in 10 minutes, I've got a next meeting starting. So I think now we're having to navigate even more how to handle those conversations so that well, we can have them, right? We need to have them and they don't have to be difficult. We make them difficult because of our perception, our mindset, They don't have to be difficult, but they do need to happen. And for the sake of people as well, because, you know, there are many people out there who need the support. I mean, people are exhausted, right? We're third week back in January. You've probably have heard, I've heard, you know, my clients are saying, I'm exhausted (laughs) and it's week three and I've got a year in front of me and I'm not allowed to take holidays until May and I don't know how I'm going to survive. So we're talking a lot about resilience. I'm doing a LinkedIn Live on that this week again. So it's about how you can help people have the conversation and how you can, how they can learn to use their strengths more. Because we all have strengths, right? But it's just knowing what they are when. So yeah. If someone's listening to this thinking, oh, oh my goodness, she's she's talking to me because I have got to have a difficult conversation and perhaps they're thinking I've been avoiding it just as she said you know it's it's something that I don't want to have and it's awkward on zoom you said mindset you said using your strengths any other guidance or tips that you could provide to someone who either to prepare or actually have the conversation well, I think the first thing is to prepare that conversation, particularly when it's when it's a difficult conversation. And, and it can be a difficult conversation around what? Around relationships with people. Because even on Zoom, you know, it's quite tricky at times. Personality clashes, yeah, can be about performance. At the moment, there are a lot of companies who are doing their, their, their kind of closing, their performance review. It, it can be about, about that. It can also be, Jenny, about grief and, and loss. Because at the moment... There are many companies who have gone through period of change and people have gone, right? People have taken early retirement. They've gone to other companies. You know, some senior experts have left the companies. There is a vacant seat. And for those who are staying, actually, this is quite hard. So there is a sense of grief and, and loss. So that's a difficult conversation. When, you, know, you know, when you're the new N plus two, and you come in, right, with all of your ideas, but you have people who are suffering from a loss because actually they liked their previous N plus two and they don't know you. 
So that's another kind of difficult conversation. And there is also the difficult conversation with yourself, as you know, right? Can I have that difficult conversation? Or am I starting to doubt myself? And you go, no, no, come on, Nadine, you can do that, right? You can do that. So how do you go about it? So yeah, preparing the conversation, you, you, you have to prepare the conversation. There are specific ways in which you can prepare them. Absolutely. But the thing is, don't over-prepare. Because sometimes people don't respond in the way that you had anticipated. So you have to prepare to an extent. But most importantly, what is it that you want to get out of the conversation? You know, it's a bit like you go to a supermarket and you think, okay, so what am I going to put in my trolley? And how much do I want to spend, right? Well, it, it is a little bit like that because... You have to measure that you're going to be doing it online. So it's quite different. You don't have people on a face-to-face. You're going to have to make sure that you read them properly. You know, you're going to have to think about the language that you're using and what kind of stakeholder it is, the questions that you're going to be asking, and how do you have that conversation where people can talk to you in a safe environment? So how do you create that safe environment so that people can open up and say, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, but I know I've not met my targets. I've got four kids. I've got to homeschool. It's been a nightmare. I don't have the room to work. So yeah, I've not met my target. And then people can become quite emotional. Because you see, we don't always know everything of people's life. We all have luggage, right? We all have a breaking point. And people are tested at the moment. So it's also, well, how, how do you respond to that? I mean, you know, we've got to be human. There's some people for whom at the moment... It's very testing. You know, not everybody has a house and a nice garden and, you know, not everybody has that. People have to homeschool children. They have to do a full-time job. They have to cook. You know, they probably have parents that are in a home or, you know, unwell. And so it's a bit like what I was saying at the beginning, we're wearing different hats. So it's also about having empathy. And that doesn't mean that you accept the poor performance, but it means that you change the conversation and you show empathy, compassion, and you put some support in place. You do whatever you can do to support those people. But I was listening on LinkedIn. There was a good conversation this week, actually, to a leader. And she said, well, I'm doing everything for my team. I will do everything I can for my team. And I thought, that's great, right? But I did respond in the post and I said, yeah, it's great, Sarah. It's brilliant. But what are you doing for yourself? You know, because ultimately we all have a breaking point and we've all been there, right? I mean, I've always been great. And in my career, I don't really believe that. I think there is always a point in your career where things are challenging and tough. I've been through that as well, you know, and how do you look after yourself and where do you get the strength to keep going? You know, because it's a bit like a car. If you haven't got any petrol, it can't go anywhere. So. I think finding your strengths and finding what keeps you going is really key to have the courage to have those conversations that are constructive, that are courageous conversations where at the end you don't have people who are left emotionally a, a, a wreck or you know low or in tears. I think we have a sense of duty of care. I think that's really important. And I've always spoken about that, you know, the duty of care for people, no matter what you do. So this is why I spend a lot of time talking to my client about, okay, so how are you going to turn that difficult conversation into a courageous conversation, right? And what do you want to achieve? And then let's work backwards. And 
what works for one person may not work for the others. I mean, we're all very different. We all have very different DNA and we're all very different. So there may be a, a kind of framework, but then you have to use it in the way that it works for you, in the way that you feel confident about it. Because people opposite you, you know, when they are seeing you on Zoom, they're going to see that you're not authentic. And it's important to be yourself and to be in agreement with what you're saying, you know, to be authentic, I think is really, really important. And to understand that, you know, everybody's trying to do their best at the moment and the best at the moment may not be, you know, the top performance, but actually we talk about surviving, you know, uh, and people say, yeah, but we can thrive as well. Yeah, sure, we can, right? But let's help people and let's see what we can do. And I see a lot of organization and leaders trying to do their best, you know, and, and do things that probably they would never have done before. But they go the extra mile because we're all being challenged to do things differently and things for which we've not been prepared. We've not studied. I mean, you and I, Jenny, we've not studied at all, you know, leading in a crisis like the one we are at the moment, despite all the qualifications that we have. So we're not improvising, but we're evolving to navigate the crisis. And it's challenging for a leader, but, you know, there are some amazing people out there who are doing it and credit to them. I think there's some great nuggets there. I mean, having a level of self-awareness for a start, being really prepared for your difficult conversation, planning out what the ideal outcome would be, but not being too rigid, having bags of empathy, asking the right questions, you know, consider their circumstances, have that in mind, and also considering their personality and their style and their communication style and being authentic with how you come across, you know, be real. Don't try to be someone else or conduct the meeting or the conversation in another way other than really yourself. And honesty is coming through there. I think that's great tips. Tell me, do you think having difficult conversations with your employees as a leader, do you think there's anything different if you're managing a difficult conversation with a client? Do you think the skills are fundamentally the same or do you think there's any differences? I think it's a little bit different because you don't line manage a client to some extent, right? It's it's a different relationship on that level. They don't work for the company. They work with the company. So I think it's a different relationship. You also have a lot to lose with your clients because if they walk away from a contract, then you know you 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 have a bit of a problem there. So I think it's a different relationship. But I think that the strategy that you use to have a conversation can be the same. You know, when you analyze a conversation, and I'm doing a lot of work at the moment on that, Jenny, on analyzing conversations and what they are made of, right? You would still ask questions. So it's about looking at the types of questions that you're asking, looking at the type of language that you are using, looking at the reciprocity in the conversation, And whether it's a colleague or a client, you do that anyway, right? If you're a great leader, you do that anyway, looking at the interaction. So is it me who is talking only or am I inviting? Is there an invitation or am I just talking over all the time? You know, the intonation, the pace at which you are talking, the choice of words that you're using, you know, the silent, because people need time to think and process at the moment, the respect that you are showing. I mean, all of that, whether it's a client or an employee for me, they are kind of the same pointers, right? 
You just need to use them very differently. And this is why I'm spending more time looking at the quality of the conversations. It's not about the length, right? You can have a 10 minutes and it's a very powerful conversation. You can have a half an hour conversation and it totally destroys a relationship. So it comes back to who you are and how self-aware of your own practice you have when you are having a conversation. And I have often wondered if I was in, because sometimes people must think, well, here we go again. Nadine is going about the conversation analysis, you know. <laughs> and I've wondered if it's because I'm bilingual. So I'm, I'm kind of navigating two languages at the same time. I'm a linguist. So my favorite tool is, you and I have discussed that before, is the thesaurus is a, is a very important tool for me. You know, so I've often wondered if I'm putting more emphasis on those than you know other people i don't think i am actually because i've done some research on conversation analysis and it does exist i'm not the only one to do it many many people have done it but it's just that when you're aware of that and those pointers then you can do it in a better way because you are reflecting how you're doing it but somebody needs to show you this is why having a coach or you know Somebody needs to point that out to you. This is so funny that we're having this conversation and I'm so glad you steered the conversation in this way because when I train account managers how to grow existing accounts, we talk about conversations. They're completely different conversations. They're not necessarily difficult. They're more expansive. And I often say it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Because, you know, you could say, oh, let's ask for a referral. And a client might say to me, well, I've, I've asked hang on a minute, how did you ask? Give me the context. What was the intonation? So I I love this. And do you think rehearsal is an important factor? Preparation, but what about rehearsal? Or do you think that makes it too staged? Yeah, I've actually done some work on that because there is a school of thought that says rehearsal are never true conversation because they are predictable, right? Because you come and you know it's a rehearsal. It's kind of a role play. It's a simulation. I actually disagree with that. I filmed three conversations recently that were a simulation for one of the training that I'm doing online. And it was very authentic. You know, the script, there was an overall context of the situation. And then the actors went with the conversation. And I think that that simulation enabled observers to grasp the good points or the strengths of the conversation, but also what could be improved for the future for them. So I think simulation has a place, but it needs to be the right one. I think it has a place. And, you know, as a linguist, I would say that. I mean, I've learned English doing role plays, right? <laughs> so without role plays, I wouldn't be able to speak as, a, as, as I do now. And you know, and children learn by modeling, by repeating, you know, so I think they do. For me, my school of thinking, the Paris school of thinking will be that simulations are helping. There is no doubt. Yeah. Look, clearly you're an expert in this space and I'm looking at the time and I just want to be conscious of your time, (laughs) Nadine, because I know how busy you are. And I was thinking, I would love for you to tell us a bit more about your program that you have for managing difficult conversations and also your leadership program that you have. So can you tell us, like, typically what kind of clients go through this program and, and who would you like most to work with? 
Okay, so so if I say to you that my clients, leaders who are working around the world, they lead teams, multicultural teams, and they are all going through a period of change. They're all having to have some conversations at some points that are what they perceive to be difficult conversations, but what are in effect courageous conversations. So I have 20 different courses, modules that you can choose, different topics, because what I did a year ago is I did a market survey on what were the main conversations that were difficult for people. I did that on LinkedIn. And then people responded to me. They came up with all kinds of topics. I did some research as well with CIPD, Harvard University. So I came up with 17 topics and then I did three more. And the three more were are about leading team virtually because actually that can be quite difficult as well. So I've got 17 on very specific topics like performance management, personality clashes, pay, diversity, you know, you just name it. You just need to go onto my website, nadinepowery.com, and you will see where they are. And I've got three on leading teams virtually where I've got uh, business simulations where people can actually see a real one-to-one meeting happening and they're able to study and observe and learn from it. Yes. And and the leadership executive coaching, this is more bespoke to some extent. I don't have a program as such because it's bespoke for whoever comes and say, this is what we want. So I tailor it for people. I don't believe that coaching is just looks like this, right? I think it's very specific to each individual and yeah, everybody has their own DNA. So I'll put a DNA on each of them. So that's kind of how I work. And I can do that in English and I can do that in French. Wow. Honestly, that sounds so valuable. Thank you so much for sharing. And we'll include the link in the podcast notes. Nadine, do you have any final words of wisdom for anyone listening that thinks I've got to manage a difficult conversation or, you know, I I feel that I need some help with my leadership? Any kind of words of wisdom that you'd like to leave us with? I think I would say, think about the opportunity that this conversation could give you which is, you know, it doesn't come from me. So let's be clear, right? (laughs) I had a coach when I was ahead and she was actually on my LinkedIn live last Friday. And one of the questions that she kept asking me when I was struggling with some challenges, right? Some, Some difficult conversations coming my way. She always asked me that question. So what opportunity is that giving you? And at the time I felt, well, that's not giving me any opportunity, but to be stressed and really worried. And actually, she was right to ask me that because it did give me a lot of opportunities. And, you know, many of those were very positive. And, you know, one of them is to build relationship with people. So that would be what I would leave you with, Jenny. Thank you. That's a fantastic reframe and a nice perfect point to leave it there with. So Nadine, thank you so much for sharing so much value and so many stories. And it's been rich with nuggets of wisdom and also tips. So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jenny, for having me. Thank you so much. A pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Nadine and came away with some nuggets of wisdom and perhaps some inspiration for your leadership. I want to tell you about my next program on the 15th of April, which is the Account Accelerator. And this is for agency account managers and account directors who want to have a more systematic approach to growing and expanding the existing accounts. 
So it's a 12-week program and we kick off on the 15th of April. If you're interested to know more details, then please get in touch. It's jenny at accountmanagementskills.com or you can find me on LinkedIn at Jenny Plant. I look forward to speaking to you soon.